Greetings, friends. It's another glorious day. This is the One Year Bible Tour Guide Podcast. It's August 26th, and we are happy to have you on board as we make our way through the Bible. I hope that I can provide some encouragement in pursuing the worthy goal of reading from Genesis to Revelation, the full counsel of God, and that you will be, with God's help, made all the wiser in the things that matter. My name is David McAdam, and we will be reading from the Old Testament book of Job today and starting a new book in the New Testament, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. We get to know more about Paul the man in this letter. There is plenty of self-disclosure in these chapters, and I believe that he gives us a lot of encouragement for spirituality on the road of life. So let's begin with the book of Job, where Job and his friends are giving their analysis on the problem of suffering. And stepping up to the podium in round two of the debate is Job's friend Zophar. We are in chapter 20, and we begin with verse 1. Let's hear what Zophar has to say. Zophar speaks, The wicked will suffer. Job chapter 20. Then Zophar the Namathite answered and said, Therefore my thoughts answer me, because of my haste within me. I hear censure that insults me, and out of my understanding a spirit answers me. Do you not know this from of old, since man was placed on earth, that the exalting of the wicked is short, and the joy of the godless but for a moment? Though his height mount up to the heavens, and his head reach to the clouds, he will perish for ever like his own dung. Those who have seen him will say, Where is he? He will fly away like a dream and not be found. He will be chased away like a vision of the night. The eye that saw him will see him no more, nor will his place any more behold him. His children will seek the favor of the poor, and his hands will give back his wealth. His bones are full of his youthful vigor, but it will lie down with him in the dust. Though evil is sweet in his mouth, though he hides it under his tongue, though he is loath to let it go and holds it in his mouth, yet his food is turned in his stomach. It is the venom of cobras within him. He swallows down riches and vomits them up again. God casts them out of his belly. He will suck the poison of cobras. The tongue of a viper will kill him. He will not look upon the rivers, the streams flowing with honey and curds. He will give back the fruit of his toil and will not swallow it down. From the profit of his trading he will get no enjoyment. For he has crushed and abandoned the poor. He has seized a house that he did not build. Because he knew no contentment in his belly, he will not let anything in which he delights escape him. There was nothing left after he had eaten. Therefore his prosperity will not endure. In the fullness of his sufficiency, he will be in distress. The hand of everyone in misery will come against him. To fill his belly to the full, God will send his burning anger against him and rain it upon him into his body. He will flee from an iron weapon. A bronze arrow will strike him through. It is drawn forth and comes out of his body. The glittering point comes out of his gallbladder. Terrors come upon him. Utter darkness is laid up for his treasures. A fire not fanned will devour him. What is left in his tent will be consumed. The heavens will reveal his iniquity, and the earth will rise up against him. The possessions of his house will be carried away, dragged off in the day of God's wrath. This is the wicked man's portion from God, the heritage decreed for him by God. Chapter 21 
Job replies, the wicked do prosper. Then Job answered and said, Keep listening to my words and let this be your comfort. Bear with me and I will speak. And after I have spoken, mock on. As for me, is my complaint against man? Why should I not be impatient? Look at me and be appalled and lay your hand over your mouth. When I remember, I am dismayed and shuddering seizes my flesh. Why did the wicked live, reach old age and grow mighty in power? Their offspring are established in their presence and their descendants before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear and no rod of God is upon them. Their bull breeds without fail. Their cow calves and does not miscarry. They send out their little boys like a flock and their children dance. They sing to the tambourine and the lyre and rejoice to the sound of the pipe. They spend their days in prosperity and in peace they go down to Sheol. They say to God, Depart from us. We do not desire the knowledge of your ways. What is the Almighty that we should serve Him? And what profit do we get if we pray to Him? Behold, is not their prosperity in their hand? The counsel of the wicked is far from me. How often is it that the lamp of the wicked is put out, that their calamity comes upon them, that God distributes pains in His anger, that they are like straw before the wind and like chaff that the storm carries away? You say, God stores up their iniquity for their children. Let Him pay it out to them, that they may know it. Let their own eyes see their destruction, and let them drink of the wrath of the Almighty. For what do they care for the houses after them, when the number of their months is cut off? Will any teach God knowledge, seeing that He judges those who are on high? One dies in his full vigor, being wholly at ease and secure, his pails full of milk and the marrow of his bones moist. Another dies in bitterness of soul, never having tasted of prosperity, they lie down alike in the dust, and the worms cover them. Behold, I know your thoughts and your schemes to wrong me. For you say, Where is the house of the prince? Where is the tent in which the wicked live? Have you not asked those who travel the roads, and do not accept their testimony, that the evil man is spared in the day of calamity, that he is rescued in the day of wrath? Who declares his way to his face, and who repays him for what he has done? When he is carried to the grave, watch is kept over his tomb. The clods of the valley are sweet to him. All mankind follows after him, and those who go before him are innumerable. How then will you comfort me with empty nothings? There is nothing left of your answers but falsehood. Chapter 22 Eliphaz Speaks Job's Wickedness is Great Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, can a man be profitable to God? Surely he who is wise is profitable to himself. Is it any pleasure to the Almighty if you are in the right, or is it gain to him if you make your ways blameless? Is it for your fear of him that he reproves you and enters into judgment with you? Is not your evil abundant? There is no end to your iniquities. For you have exacted pledges of your brothers for nothing and stripped the naked of their clothing. You have given no water to the weary to drink, and you have withheld bread from the hungry. The man with power possessed the land, and the favored man lived in it. You have sent widows away empty, and the arms of the fatherless were crushed. Therefore snares are all around you, and sudden terror overwhelms you, or darkness so that you cannot see, and a flood of water covers you. Is not God high in the heavens? 
See the highest stars, how lofty they are. But you say, what does God know? Can he judge through the deep darkness? Thick clouds veil him so that he does not see, and he walks on the vault of heaven. Will you keep to the old way that wicked men have trod? They were snatched away before their time. Their foundation was washed away. They said to God, Depart from us, and what can the Almighty do to us? Yet he filled their houses with good things, but the counsel of the wicked is far from me. The righteous see it and are glad. The innocent one mocks at them, saying, Surely our adversaries are cut off, and what they left the fire has consumed. Agree with God and be at peace, thereby good will come to you. Receive instruction from his mouth, and lay up his words in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. If you remove injustice far from your tents, if you lay gold in the dust, and gold from Ophir among the stones of the torrent bed, then the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. For then you will delight yourself in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. You will make your prayer to Him, and He will hear you, and you will pay your vows. You will decide on a matter, and it will be established for you, and light will shine on your ways. For when they are humbled, you say, It is because of pride, but He saves the lowly. He delivers even the one who is not innocent, who will be delivered through the cleanness of your hands. This concludes today's portion from the Old Testament from the book of Job. Let's step back and highlight a few observations. This is Zophar's second response to Job. Still, Zophar imagines that there must be some unconfessed sin in Job's life that has provoked God to allow his misfortune. Zophar has no idea of what God is doing in Job's life. Sometimes God allows suffering in the lives of those who trust Him for purposes known only to Himself. Job repudiates Zophar's assumption and declares that, contrary to Zophar's pontificating in chapter 20, sometimes the wicked do prosper and appear to die in peace and with plenty in chapter 21 verses 1 through 18. But that is not the full story. Job is the first of many in the Bible to question why the wicked prosper. Why do the wicked still live, continue on, also become very powerful? In Job chapter 21 verse 7, David asked the question again in the Psalms, How long shall the wicked, O Lord, how long shall the wicked exult? In Psalm 94 verse 3, Jeremiah also laments this fact. Righteous are you, O Lord, that I would plead my case with you. Indeed, I would discuss matters of justice with you. Why has the way of the wicked prospered? Why are all those who deal in treachery at ease? In Jeremiah chapter 12 verse 1. The word of God reminds us to judge nothing before the time comes. The day of judgment will declare what true success and prosperity really is. Jesus taught that we dare not assess a person's success by their apparent wealth, health, and achievements. He describes the plight of a rich man who appeared to be money smart and successful. Then he, the rich man, said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Luke chapter 12, verses 18 through 20. 
God saw Job as a man who was rich towards him. Remember the first verse of chapter 1? There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Job chapter 1 verse 1. Job answers his critics, How then will you vainly comfort me, for your answers remain full of falsehood? Chapter 21 verse 34. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar have had two rounds of accusations according to their religious philosophy. They say things that may be true in some cases, but not in Job's case. Therefore, they were full of falsehood. Job put no confidence in what they were saying. The Lord will back Job up in this assessment. Eliphaz begins the third round of debate, offering fuzzy theology, accusation, and wrangling over Job's character. He makes the accusation that Job is a sinner in chapter 22, verses 1 through 11, that he is hiding his sins in verses 12 through 20, and that he must repent and confess his sins if he expects God is to help him in verses 21 through 30. This passage makes you wonder how well Eliphaz knew Job, for his assessment of Job's character is very different from God's in Job chapter 1 verse 1. How do you handle people who falsely evaluate your life? How grounded are you in what God has to say about you? Eliphaz says many things that are true pertaining to getting right with God in Job chapter 22 verses 21 through 30. Had he applied them to his own life, he might have been a greater comfort to Job. Now let's move on to the New Testament portion of our reading today. We start the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And as I mentioned earlier, there is much self-disclosure in this letter as Paul makes known his struggles on the road of discipleship. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. And this concludes today's portion from the New Testament, from the first chapter of Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Corinth, you may remember, was the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire 
after Rome, Alexandria, and Antioch. It covered a territory of 330 square miles. The original city, one of the Greek city-states, was destroyed in 146 B.C. in a revolt against the Roman Empire. It was rebuilt in the time of Julius Caesar, around 46 B.C., and resettled with freed slaves from Italy. Corinth had commercial importance with two port harbors, one on the Adriatic and one on the Aegean Sea. It was known as a sailor's port with rampant immorality. Paul wrote 2 Corinthians from Macedonia a year or so after 1 Corinthians during his third missionary journey between 55 and 56 A.D. Paul was converted in 33 or 34 A.D., first preaching in Corinth on his second missionary journey 16 years later in 49 to 51 A.D. He met up with fellow tent makers Aquila and Priscilla, who became partners in his church planting enterprise there and later in Ephesus in Acts chapter 18 verse 2. When Paul first preached in Corinth, there was fierce persecution, but the Lord assured him that he had many people in that city in Acts chapter 18 verse 10. So Paul stayed on there for 18 months teaching the word of God in Acts chapter 18 verse 11. While at Corinth, he wrote letters to the Thessalonians and Galatians. After his 18-month ministry in Corinth, Paul continued to travel. He teaches for three years at the Hall of Tyrannus in Ephesus. It was when he was visiting the churches in Macedonia that Titus gave him the updated report about the church in Corinth that provoked Paul to write this letter. This is the fourth letter that he wrote to this church. Two of his letters are missing, but are referenced in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, and 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3-4. through 4. According to tradition, Paul returned to Corinth and spent the winter of 56-57 to 57 A.D. in the home of Gaius. We have read about Gaius in Romans chapter 16, verse 23, and 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14. From there, he wrote the epistle to the Romans. The central theme in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians is the relationship between suffering and the power of the Spirit in Paul's life and ministry. Some of his opponents, including professing believers, argued that Paul suffered too much to be a Spirit-filled apostle of the risen Christ. Paul argues that his suffering is an instrument that God uses to reveal his glory. His personal weakness is a platform for the manifestation of God's grace. Paul begins the letter by giving praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ as the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. How does Paul know him as such? He reports that he has first-hand experience of God's mercy and comfort and that he wants them to know him in this way also. He writes of his affliction in Asia. His sufferings were not just physical, but also mental and emotional. He felt the continual pressure of persecution and relentlessly had to battle false teachers. He writes of facing hardships in 2 Corinthians 1.8, the sentence of death in verse 9, and deadly peril in verse 10. Paul dignified the trials by seeing their redemptive value. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 6 Have you been learning these life lessons that Paul is sharing with the Corinthians? Number 1. God comforts us so that we can comfort others. Number 2. God allows us to come to the end of ourselves 
so that we may not rely on ourselves, but on Him and His resurrection power. Number three, God teaches us to trust Him as our Deliverer so that the praise is brought to Him. Number four, Paul knows the effective power of prayer. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11, he notes that he is not only helped, but that the favor of God is demonstrated upon his ministry as a result of the prayers of the Corinthian church. Next stop on our Bible reading tour is the book of Psalms, where we continue to read Psalm 40, verses 11 through 17. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Ha-ha, ha-ha! But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord! As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God! This portion from Psalm 40 relates well to the other passages we are reading today. Paul knew that the Lord was his deliverer. Job also looked to the Lord to vindicate him in the trial. He puts his trust in God's mercy. Here the psalmist looks to the Lord to deliver him according to his love and faithfulness. In Psalm 40, verse 13, And he praises the Lord as the one who comes to his rescue. Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. Since I am afflicted and needy, let the Lord be mindful of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Psalm 40, verses 16 through 17 in the New American Standard Version. We move on now to our final stop in today's Bible reading tour, the Bible's treasure chest of wisdom, Proverbs chapter 22, verses 2 through 4. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. God's wisdom calls us to acknowledge Him as being true to His word. We should not be naive, but recognize that we are living in a fallen world and must take precautions, humbly submitting to the light of God's word and the rewards for doing so are great. Would you join me now in prayer? Lord, we are grateful that you are mindful of us. You know our frailties and our failings. You remember that we are dust. We are grateful that you, the infinitely Holy One, have made yourself known as the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. We take no pride in our weaknesses other than that they serve as a platform for the manifestation of your grace. We rest in the position of favor that the Lord has won for us. We delight in the fact that you rejoice over us with singing, knowing that we are hid in a faith union with Christ, our Lord, and our life. We ask that you enable us to stand against all the accusations of the evil one with all the assurances of the victory that you have given us in Christ. And in Jesus' name we ask it. 
Amen. Well, we can rejoice in the God of all comfort. We've made a good start into Paul's second letter to the Corinthians today, and we will continue tomorrow. Also, we'll continue with round two of Job's battling it out with his friends on the subject of his sufferings. Both the Old Testament book of Job and the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians helps form a theology of suffering that is essential for the Christian walk. Thank you for joining with us today. My name is David McAdam, and if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can write us at podcast at newlife.org. And if you'd like a written copy of our daily commentary as an email, you can subscribe by going to our website, newlife.org. So until next time, may the Father of mercies, the God of all grace, the God of all comfort be with you all. May you grow more and more in the knowledge of the great shalom of God, the Prince of Peace, the one who has made peace by shedding his blood on the cross and who gives us peace of heart and mind through the indwelling of his Holy Spirit.